At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Hey guys, so this is going to probably be the last ever retroactive episode <sighs> that we do. Um, so I was thinking about this the other day. So I really wanted us to put out this episode. This episode is not anything like a horror movie night episode. And I want to tell you guys that up front. So the way that Scott and I met was years ago, I was doing a show on Reddit called the Reddit Horror Club with my friend Miguel. And it well, was a let, very... Let, let's rewind. It yeah. started on our horror. Somebody said we should have a weekly discussion on one movie or like we should have discussion posts on one movie and somebody said oh okay i'll i'll um i'll make a specific subreddit for it and they made it reddit horror club and then you and miguel got to be mods right oh miguel never even used reddit i was like i, oh. I want to do this but i need someone to talk like i was like i'm not going to sit here and talk about the movie if Without the guest doesn't jump on yeah so i i tapped him because i had just moved back from la and i had become really good friends with miguel and so for the first maybe like 40 episodes it's miguel and i and miguel is like miguel's a great dude very smart knows his like history of horror like no one's business encyclopedic knowledge so the show is a much more serious discussion show we would laugh every once in a while but it was very serious yeah. and we would always invite whoever picked the movie to come on and episode 10 was scott he picked behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon which is, which is a movie that why we've never picked it for or for uh for horror movie night yeah, it's a very special movie for us. Um, so people had asked that people had emailed us about it and everything. So I, I always knew that I wanted to put out this episode one day. And I figured since we're taking this this July hiatus, which I, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. This might become like a regular thing for 
just because our lives get so busy in the summer that July we take like a three week. Here's some like live episodes and extra shit that we've had buried around. Um, but I felt like with Brian on the show, it further severs the tie of horror movie night with Reddit Horror Club. So I feel like there's less and less reason for us to go to that well. And, you know, we're also cutting ourselves off sometimes from like a lot of movies that would make great horror movie night episodes. So, I mean, obviously, we'll still occasionally mention it. But at at this point, this is us closing the chapter on Reddit Horror Club as far as the history of horror movie night a little bit. Uh, But I thought that the listeners would find it really interesting just to hear the very first time that Scott and I ever spoke to each other. Uh, this is this led to, you know, maybe a year later, me asking Scott to become the new co-host when Miguel couldn't do it anymore, uh, led to, you know, hanging out and meeting each other like three or four times. Uh, by the time this comes out, I've already been to Scott's house for the first time. Like it, it's crazy to think that this one 45 minute introduction really uh, changed the course of both of our, our lives. Uh, so <laughs> not, not to make it too, too heavy, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, I am, I'm, I'm Scott and I have very different uh, theological beliefs, but uh, <laughs> I am, I am a very, I'm a very firm believer that certain people enter your life for certain reasons and they kind of help guide the course of your life. And I, I think that Scott, is definitely a big one for me. You know, like I don't think hard movie night would be a thing if not for Scott. So enjoy this. I, I don't think that you guys are going to, you know, write to us about how this was the funniest thing you've ever heard. Cause it's, it's not, but I think that it's an interesting social experiment and scattered around. This will be a bunch of like bonus episodes from people I'm interviewing at San Diego comic con right now. So, you know, you're getting content, you're getting stuff, you'll get laughs. <laughs> I'm hanging out with Jonathan. There's no way that I'm not going to record something with Jonathan that will be filled with laughs. So yeah. uh, stay tuned. But you got anything else you want to add there, Scott? No, uh, aside from I'm sorry for the first time I ever hogged the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yet another episode uh today's movie was picked by ichabob guitar aka scott who's actually sitting in with miguel and i right now hey guys uh and the movie you picked was behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon um can you tell us why you picked this movie it is easily my favorite horror movie of the last decade um i just i've always had a thing for um you know uh movies horror movies in particular that are very um tongue in cheek and you know aware of themselves and uh I also like mockumentaries I like documentaries too but um it just kind of it it hit a lot of points for me and I mean I found it I thought it was hilarious I thought that it was a great idea it was a pretty good um plot as well as I think that the writing was good but I'll I I don't know if we want to get into that yet but I think that a lot of that was improv too 
So very good actors. <laughs> uh, now I I'm pretty sure Miguel and I are on the same page when we both say that we 100% agree that this is one of the best horror movies of the last decade. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and in fact, I just want to throw it out there that um, I I tw- <laughs> I posted on Twitter that I was watching this to prepare for this podcast, and you know the the behind the mask fans just come out of the woodwork. So many people love <laughs> yeah. this film. Uh, and it is, it was a brilliant pick. It's a great, great film. Well, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that I'm in like-minded company because <laughs> I, any opportunity that I can, can find to, to just extol the virtues of this film, I will. Now I, this wasn't a very like heavily publicized or well-known movie at all. This was kind of something that horror fans had to find for themselves, I think. So I'm kind of curious how each one of us first saw this movie, because I know that it, this was none of our first time seeing this. Right. Uh, so, Scott, how did you first discover Behind the Mask? Um, you know, it's one of those totally romantic times when, you know, you go in to the Best Buy or whatever, and, and you're like, man, I could really go for something, but you have no idea um, what you're looking for. And uh, I just picked it out of the blue, and and fell in love with it. So that was how we first met. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Very Miguel, romantic. Miguel, what's your uh, story? Uh, very similar, actually. Is uh, I was looking for new movies to watch, and um, it was one of those, huh, you know what, I'll give it a chance. And one of those rare moments where it, it was, um, you're surprised by how great the pick was. <laughs> Uh, for me, I was working at a video store, and uh, our magazine came in once a month with like, hey, here's some movies that are coming out in the next couple weeks that you may want to order for your store. And I saw the ad for it, and I basically had to beg my boss to order a copy of it. <laughs> I was like, I am promising you that this will rent. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, please, just get it. So he got two copies of it, and thank God you, like when you work at a video store, you get the perk of watching the movies a week before you put them on the shelf right. because those movies were never in stock. They were rented <laughs> so frequently. Um, it, it's, and it, I, I mean, a part of it had to do with the fact that every employee at that store loved that movie and would just recommend it to any horror it's fan that came yeah. in. They're like, Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. It's a masterpiece. Um, you had mentioned Scott that you, do you like mockumentaries and documentaries? And, the film is definitely a mockumentary, but what I like about it is that they, it just hits that random point where it just stops being a mockumentary mid-movie. <laughs> oh, that is that that when I was first watching, it, I was just totally captivated, you know, and I was just like, oh my god, because I mean, I was about ten minutes in, and I was already, you know, I, I had made up my mind that this movie was amazing, and uh, and I remember the, the the first time watching it, and when it goes from. I mean, there there are points where it's you know the it goes from the handheld to like thirty five millimeter or whatever you know it goes from the mockumentary to the traditional um, library scene specifically. Is yeah, the library scene happens you know like you said about half an hour in, and that's just cool because it's like a cut scene almost yeah. in a video game or something. But mm-hmm. it was just I, I I liked that, but it didn't really strike me because you're kind of just going along with the movie at first. And um, just letting things happen. And then when they're, you know, about, 
I'd say, you know, like almost an hour in, and it goes to where they say shut off the cameras, and she's, you know, and and uh, Taylor, the Survivor girl, is like, you know, this is this is happening, and that was such a cool moment. I just think that it speaks volumes to how well thought out the whole movie was. I mean, the guy that wrote it, I, I was a sociology major in college, and I wrote my um, my capstone project, like a senior thesis about comic books and masculinity. And this, I, I imagine this guy probably wrote his about <laughs> uh, imagery and horror movies if he had something similar, because that's exactly what it felt like was somebody who had done tons of research and who had just, you know, discussed ad nauseum to all, probably all of his friends and family, you know, like the ins and outs of horror movies and all these just amazing sub layers to the whole culture. And it, it was just a great, it was just such a cool movie in general because it's like, it's, you know, a couple feet above in the meta realm talking so much of that movie. And then it dumps you for the last half hour or so into a regular slasher flick, but it had, it's giving you all these pieces, all, all this, all this fresh insight. And then it puts you right in the movie. I just thought that it, it works so well. Well, yep. what, I, what I loved about this movie, and it, it's little things that I picked up, but I know that we've talked about it before. When you watch a horror movie and you can tell which ones are made by true horror fans and which ones are just made for a guy going for a paycheck. And there, there's a line in this movie, and there's a lot of great moments where you go, this guy knows his horror movies. But the line specifically is when she's talking about Michael Myers and she says, you know, who's terrorized... Uh, you know this town th- four different times because yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he actually was smart enough to like most people who don't know horror movies be like oh eight times because there's been eight movies it, no right. Halloween one and two take place on the same night nice. four and five take place on the same night yeah H two O and Resurrection are like the same night roughly like the yeah. like it was such I, a well thought out script I'm sorry I have to pause you for a second. Four and five don't happen in the same night. They're one year separate. Ah, um, shit. I'm going to cut you off there because Halloween four and five are, are my favorite in the series because I think Danielle Harris is amazing. Okay. My so, pa- I, I, I am going to admit that I am not a big Halloween fan. My favorite Halloween movie is Halloween 3. So, really? That's yeah. interesting. You're the first person <laughs> that I've ever talked to that said the three. I mean, I like three because I like John Carpenter, but... <laughs> You know, like it's it's not really part of the canon. So, well, Halloween of- three, ironically, I do have to mention Halloween three is the movie that is the reason why this club exists in the first place. Halloween <laughs> three, with the exception of part one, is my favorite of them all. Yeah, by far. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, do you, Scott, do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I I remember the thread, but I don't remember the comment that started it. Someone had started a thread. Of what's the worst horror movie you've ever seen? Oh, that's right. And their movie was Halloween Three, and there was like such an outrage on the boards of like <laughs> that's the worst horror movie you've ever seen, and it turned into a giant like we need to educate people on horror movies, and then that's when someone was just like, why not have a movie club? Yeah. <laughs> so it's all Perfect Halloween Three. Right there. Yeah, Halloween Three is what started this entire thing. Um, so cool. But yeah, the idea of creating this world where all these serial killers exist still also makes sense because we have a film like Freddy vs. Jason that already kind of put 
that groundwork in there that there's this universe where all these characters exist. So why not? Why wouldn't there be someone who wants to rise to the occasion as the next big guy? Oh, and that brings up a great point. I think that the the world building that they did in the script is just perfect because it's these little it's little comments like the one that brought us to this part of the conversation that are just they they're little jabs that could go unnoticed if you're not you know if you're not educated already a little bit about the horror genre itself. But there are things like you know where they talk about. Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers, as if they know them, especially when Eugene is talking, a lot of the stuff Eugene says really does a lot of the world world building and brings it down to real life and it makes it feel like all these characters that are based on archetypes and are based on these collective fears that we have are actually real people and like the Halloween series are more or less you know, dramatizations of real life, you know, terror. And it's just, it's, I just think that that's another telling piece to how well this movie was put together. Well, and I love that he doesn't refer to them by their character names. He refers to them as like Fred and Mike and Jay as if he's friends that he just had over one day. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I would, I would go as far as to say that this is, I would. I, what I wrote down was best uh, satire on the slasher film since Scream, possibly better than. You know, I have. I've tried to explain it to people at similar in a similar vein to as Scream because Scream was such a. It's such a well-known movie, and yeah. I'm not. The next thing I'm going to say, I'm not dissing on Scream at all. I love Scream. I watched Scream hundreds of times in high school. I mean, I love that movie, but I got to say that. This movie blows that movie out of the water. Yeah. Scream was still a blockbuster. It had it had stars in its eyes. Yeah. I mean, it had a big cast, it had a big production, and a big advertising budget. And, and well, Scream is also it's hard to use that as an example because I think for a certain age group, I would say maybe like the like twenty, maybe like twenty eight and younger. That was a lot of people's introduction to to horror films again because see, it was yeah. See, for me, I hate Scream. I think yeah. it's awful. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, what? I really don't like that film. And part of the reason, especially now, like at first I was like, take it or leave it. But in light of films that did it better, like Leslie Vernon, um, it, it's hard not to make the comparison. I know you didn't want to, but the the fact of the matter is, it, it's it's kind of a meta look at what had happened to the horror genre after the early 80s when we were introduced to the slasher uh, subgenre, which essentially took over and changed everything. And Scream was kind of a, a uh, an outside look at that. Uh, Scream, for me, when it came out, I had already well past graduated high school and, and was well-versed in these films by that time. And uh, I just didn't think it did a very good job, first of all, it, it was its uh, relation of the rules uh, uh, of the horror genre or slasher genre was a little too explicit for me. It was just uh, what's his name uh, relating, Jamie yeah. yeah, Jamie Kennedy, who I also despise, uh, standing <laughs> up there You're relating the old rules. man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, and it's just a. It's you not sound, an intelligent you film. You sound like you're. Were you the guy that when that movie came out, you're like, I already saw this in student bodies. <laughs> actually, 
No, no, I, I wasn't actually. But um, when it was being uh, advertised, the slasher genre had been dead for a while, and it was being uh, extolled as a return to the a return to form, and and rather than being that, it was like. Um, it was like Wes Craven. We'll say Wes Craven since he was uh, had a lot to do with it, obviously, and uh, and his buddy Kevin Williamson, who you know whose other credits included Dawson's Creek, wanted to kind of tell the world, yeah, we made movies like Night, or yeah, I made movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, but you know, I, I've grown up now, and we're just gonna kind of MST3K what we did. The the humor parts overrode the horror parts in Scream. The, oh, I the ho- I'll tell people any day that I think Scream is a comedy first and a horror second. Oh, yeah. It's impossible to talk about Leslie Vernon without bringing up Scream, dog, uh, Man Bites Dog, and more recently, Cabin in the Woods. I think Cabin right. in the Woods Man is Bites a very... Man Bites Dog is genius, and, and Cabin in the Woods was also really good. Uh, and Cabin in the Woods did what Leslie Vernon did very well, which was... When you saw um, the mechanics behind everything, in other words, in Leslie Vernon, it was the the mockumentary parts. Things were very kind of lighthearted and, and people are just, you know, Leslie even called it work related. He called it his work. And it was very much like a um, he was really good at it, but it was almost like an office job for him the same way that in Cabin in the Woods, it was like an office job for, for those guys. Yet when it was time to, you know, for him to act on it or or perform, um, it switched over to actually being a horror movie. It did it a couple of times in Leslie Vernon. The first time, I believe, was when the waitress, you know, the, they pulled the brick out of the way and the door yeah. slammed. <clears throat> that was very brief. It was like two seconds <laughs> And then they did it again during the library. It was a little bit longer. So every time the horror parts are getting a little bit longer as you get farther along in Leslie's preparation. And then, of course, as you said, in Act 3, it completely switched over. They turned off the mockumentary cameras. At that time, we are seeing her crew for the first time. We're finally seeing the, the faces of the cameraman and the, uh, the mic operator uh, for the first time. In that third act, they're, they're now characters in their own mockumentary. So it's done really, really well. And Cabin in the Woods did that well, but I would say that um, that Behind the Mask did it first, obviously, and, and did it just as well. I actually get mad when people compare it to uh, Man Bites Dog, in mm-hmm. a sense, because it, it's like, okay, camera crew follows serial killer, check. But then from that point, it is a very different film. Um, I feel like Man Bites Dog is so much more of a psychological, like, what would that, like, how would that affect another human being to, to actively be participating in, in this thing versus, you know, Leslie Vernon that is, that is at its sense still very lighthearted and, and humorous. Um, and I think that that's a big thing is that the humor keeps the movie going. Well, it also, it, you don't expect what happens at the end, and it makes you really conflicted when it gets to the end, because Leslie Vernon is a very charming person. Oh, he should have won an Oscar. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I even he's tweet- gotten more, more work out of it. I remember after the movie came out, I, I found his Twitter or blog or whatever it was, 
and Nathan Bissell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he was like struggling to make ends meet, you know, yeah. to provide for his family and stuff. And I, I mean, I, I haven't looked at his IMDb lately or anything, but I mean, I, he he deserves way more accolades for this. I, yeah. did, I got I surprised because Miguel, you had just recently tagged him on Facebook. Right. And I, I was like, he only has 140 followers? Yeah. Like, it was just, like, one of those things where I'm like, how is it possible that I have more Twitter followers than this guy when he is, <laughs> well, he partly, is a phenomenal actor? Like, partly my, my intention of, of tagging Nathan in that tweet. Try to get him on here? To, well, no, actually, <laughs> although that would have been nice. But, no, the real reason was to try and get him more followers. Yeah. Um, that that's the best way, by the way, to get people Twitter followers. As an aside, hey, I follow Friday's him. crap. But when, <laughs> when you did that, and I was like, "Oh, he has a Twitter. I'll follow him." Yeah. Oh yeah, he is. He is absolutely phenomenal uh, as as Leslie, and partly it's because he plays both sides of his character so well. When he becomes vicious, he's pretty damn vicious. But other than that, he, he seems like the most harmless person in the world, you know, using words like poop. And yeah, it's, it's great because his – I wrote down a bunch of the quotes and I wanted to bring that up anyway where, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of that like quasi-sexual tension with Taylor, who by the way is the little girl from My Girl, if nobody put that together. I um, did not. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, it's just a strange change for her, I think. Um, any case, so he he talks about um, you know he he's very sweet with her because he's kind of got this um, archetypal love for her because she's the survivor girl and she's the pristine virgin that he needs to um, have for his story, and he needs her to defeat him, um, and that he orchestrates it, and it's. It's it's a it's a great little um, denouement when they explain later on that you know when she she has the you know the 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 epiphany that he picked her, um, mm-hmm. but it's great because he says things about you know like uh, scare the poo by the next kid that goes in there or um, you know where he says um, as Yannick imagery and she's like what's that and he's like oh, it's the opposite of it's the opposite of phallic uh, lady bits or lady mm-hmm. bits or whatever I mean he's very sexually stunted which is a really amazing sub layer to slasher films if you think about it because i mean i, I don't want to go too far off onto this but just as in you know, just as the tangent goes i mean jason was a physically and if i read it right mentally handicapped child who died in mm-hmm. a monster j uh freddie is a you know, child molester and, and and you're right it's it's taps in they're all kind of like not none of them have a normal sexuality or mostly asexual exactly. well it's always been an important point because yeah. one of the thing that has always been leveled at the slasher genre is it's bizarre morality in other words sex like, equals death exactly if you say you don't death. like the movie scream come on <laughs> no, well, see, Scream was not intelligent, and especially in light of the fact that Wes Craven had made it, and he had made intelligent movies in the past, and Scream marked his descent into bullshit like my soul to take. So- <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. I got to pause here. You're saying that Scream was when he started going downhill. Did you ever see Shocker? 
which is a fucking awesome movie. It's awesome because it's terrible. Yeah, but it's great. <laughs> right. But the, the same thing, the same reason why you like Shocker is the reason no. why someone like well, me no, likes because, because, because it's cheeseball. <laughs> no, Shocker played it straight. It was a really cheesy movie, but it was played straight. Scream was very wink, wink, nudge, nudge at the audience. And if there's anything I despise... It's two sides to the same mirror, I'd say. It's still kind of elbowing the audience, but one is overt and sort of meta, and the other one is saying, we're expecting you to get that this is supposed to be a little cheesy. I just want to say that I think Serpent in the Rainbow is his worst movie. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. movie's boring as shit. That movie's awesome. <laughs> I don't remember anything from that so movie. So bored by that movie. School. Uh, the movie. The um, sorry. Behind the Mask is also kind of fun because it's such a slasher film reunion show. Yeah. Where you've got Kane Hodder and you've got you know Robert England's in there and the old lady from Poltergeist is in there and it's yeah, it, Elder Rubenstein yeah yeah her last movie oh i had a question for you guys about that i've watched that scene over and over in the library it when when uh, kelly screams and the old lady the librarian falls over is it that Le- the she is it that she fainted or is leslie pulling the side out of her back oh, i think it's that she fainted i think uh, leslie was it. not and my, but I I need to rewatch it now that you're asking because that's a really good question. But I just felt like it would have made more sense. He had that planned, would, like he had planned on killing side. her, but he ended up being distracted by Robert England, and it was good enough that he had gotten an Ahab that he didn't have to kill her at that point. Well, I think that actually, like I think that the thing is, is that on one side, if he had killed her, it makes Kelly more scared, but. Right. I mean, the, the context clues seem to me that he wasn't even there to kill the librarian, although it's a discussion that he has with Eugene and Jamie in the scene before that. Because Jamie says, oh, she spends a lot of time at the library. Maybe you should knock off the librarian. Right. So, Well, I that mean, was his plan. I but I think the, the appearance of Robert England changed everything at okay. that point. Okay. Well, and I would argue, and- I would argue that Taylor would have stopped the documentary – sooner had he killed somebody i I, i'm gonna agree with matt there because as soon as and that's a really important part later on too as soon as someone finally dies which in my understanding was always in the bedroom later on right before it switches from mockumentary to actual horror film um they just hear it they just hear the sounds coming from the room which is an awesome i thought that was just great that 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 the first actual kill of the movie the kills first kills of the movie are off camera and it's just it's it seems so visceral that it's just the the you know the audio like the audio of of someone dying because it just it it hit me because it was one sense instead of all of them well and i like that um you also have the i mean the a lot of the comedy tends to die down once it turns into the horror movie but the reveal that Kelly is uh, not a virgin is such a great reveal. Yes, <laughs> and the, the then Katie's flipping around or spinning around her head is just really the icing on the cake to that. Well, and just like the the best the best lines once it stops being a documentary come from the camera crew who just doesn't want to be there and, and just wants nothing to do with what's happening anymore. But they just keep going along with it, and it, it does 
it does hit that kind of meta thing where they're trying to explain to people that they are characters in a horror movie right now. Yeah. And they just don't get it. And they're convinced to go because of a threat to their masculinity as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's like, if they say something, she's like, oh, well, if you can't find your balls or something like that. And then she's the like, yeah. guy's like, she had to go with the balls or something. Yep, like that. exactly. I did want to make a comment about the best line of the movie. And I know that they use it. I, I've seen it in at least one of the trailers. But it's the part where Leslie is trying to um, keep Taylor and the crew there. And because um, they hear the first kills and then he goes, OK, everybody outside. He's got them by their van and he says, you know, I made a choice. I made a choice to provide a counterbalance to all those things that we hold good and pure. And there's that long pause and he goes, you chose journalism, OK? It's just <laughs> it's just such a great the jokes are just spot on. I just think that this movie kicks ass in every possible way. Well, I want to hop into uh, our favorite scenes from each mo- uh, from the movie, and my favorite scene actually is more so a quote than anything else. But it's the whole sequence where Leslie's talking about the the amount of training that goes into to doing <laughs> yep. it, and he says something like, "You know, they're running their asses off, and I got to look like I'm just walking." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Did you, have you guys? You guys watched it on Netflix, then, right? Well, I own it. Okay, I own it too. Miguel, have you seen the deleted scenes? I've seen a few of them, yeah. Okay, I mean, and I don't know if anybody listening has missed them, but there's one where um, uh, Leslie bets Taylor that he can catch her um, between you know the, these two trees in the orchard, and um, it shows the part how. You know, he runs real fast, and then when she turns around, he's like, oh, he stops, and he's walking like a zombie. And then as soon as she turns around, he starts running again, and then she trips, and he catch, he, then he hits the tree, and he goes, pay up. And they're like, oh, that's cheating. That's another great little piece to that scene. I kind of wish they would have kept it in the movie, but that is an amazing scene because it's just – it's that I, – I, like I said, world building where they are so cool – and succinct with the way that they kind of just explain away the the unbelievable pieces of movies like Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah. Miguel, your favorite scene? My favorite scene in the film, um, I think it is uh, near the um, right before the it turns into an actual horror film where they're really going over exactly what's going to happen at the house and the area and stuff. And, and there's a scene where Leslie and, um, and the uh, documentarian are, are standing right now or sitting actually, I think across from each other and it's all coming together really well. And he had thought of everything. And she says something like, this sounds like a really brilliant plan. And Leslie Vernon like looks down and very quietly says, thank you. <laughs> and, and it's so, the way he says it is so full of pride. Like he's so happy with how he's thought of everything, and and but he's also very humble. The way he says that, it's just so beautiful and perfect. There, there's a uh, in that same sequence when he's walking around the house. I also love the line where she's like, "Well, can't they just throw something through the window?" And he yeah. just goes, "Never comes up." <laughs> right? He's like, "You'd think they would, wouldn't they?" But the only yeah. time they do is when they're two floors up. <laughs> Yeah, and that's it's just so cool how basically I feel like the the writer slash director watched 
all of his favorite horror movies and just wrote down all the tropes that the kids that get slaughtered did, did and was like, okay, I can have my character make fun of all these stupid things as well as account for them. And it's just, I mean, they do something similar in Cabin in the Woods um, in a very different way where, you know, they say, oh, put the gas on them. And, and then the jock is like, oh, we, we should put up. up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Scott, what was your favorite part in the movie? You know, it's fun. I have two, and I'll be quick about them both. Um, but Miguel, I, I could have I sworn that you were going to mention the first one of them, which is where Leslie's telling what's going to happen. He's 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 saying, okay, um, this thing's going to happen, and then they're going. Then the kids are going to these kids are going to go to this part, and he says that the one cheerleader and her jock boyfriend are going to go down to the basement. And oh yeah, I know where you're going with this. The boobs. <laughs> and Taylor goes. Leslie, isn't that a bit gratuitous, uh, or something like that? Or and and uh, <laughs> and it's just it's awesome because yeah. there's so many layers to that. It's just like how there's got to be a tit shot in every good slasher film, and it's great because it's Taylor being prude, and it's it's you know Leslie kind of poking fun because he knows that she's a, a virgin, and it's and it's you know it's just. It plays on so many levels and just works on every single one of them. Yeah, it's great because his sexuality, as you said before, is so juvenile. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I'm the one telling the story here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, just such a, it's just so much fun. And the other really great part um, is um, actually when, I had it written down, um, it's when they're, they go to the high school it, early on and he's, he's, they're sitting in the van and there, uh, he's he's going okay. You got to have your survival girl, blah blah blah. And he points to the one girl, and um, and they they say, oh, is that is, is are you gonna go after her? He's like, oh no, I've had somebody picked out for a while. I mean, if I was starting this late in the game, I'd be screwed. But then he goes on and says, but you need to pad your numbers, or he says, you know, you have to have more people. And he goes, he points at the jocks and cheerleaders and goes, there, that's your bread and butter, young. Um, sexually virile or whatever, um, you know, and, and then he goes, you know, they're great. They're your bread and butter. And then he points to the hipsters who are, you know, skinny guys with their little, you know, their hats and they're smoking a cigarette around the side of the school. And he goes, look at that guy. And he's <laughs> like, oh, those, those are the ones you do to, at late in the game. You, you, you pad your numbers with them because they're like an easy kill. And that, that's my other favorite line of ever the other favorite scene, because it's just, it's it's funny because, I mean, funny like in an interesting way. It intrigued me when I first watched it because it's he doesn't really see them as like oh I'm going to murder them. I have to have a. It, it, he's saying okay, those are how to up your score more or less. Right. You know? Well, it's like he said, it's it's work related. It's everything's very like mathematically figured. It's his out, job, right? yeah, and it's also great that the way he's portrayed. He's very much like an actor in a way. If you ever hear an actor talk about their work and and the way they prepare for a role, it sounds a lot like uh, how Leslie Vernon is preparing for his kills. And then when it finally shows the actual murder parts, it's shot completely differently, as you said. And that's like his performance. Uh, You actually get to see the play at that part. This is kind of unrelated, but this is probably the only episode we'll ever get to discuss this. Miguel... Were you the one that on Geekscape told us your idea for the Ultimate Friday the 13th remake? That, that was me, and I knew that was going to come up. Uh, um, 
And, and I, I do want to say I have had that idea since before I saw this movie. Uh, and I'll, I'll note, I will note also, because I know you're going to say the idea and I'll let you say it, but I'll note also that you never actually see him doing what I want to see done. So go ahead. Miguel had an idea when he appeared on the Geekscape podcast with my friend Jonathan and I. And his idea was that you need to remake Friday the 13th but after each kill, linger around long enough to see Jason setting everything up, so that like, <laughs> so like almost as if he's an interior designer. Like, okay, so the blood's gonna drop here, and she's gonna look up. And then, like, <laughs> yeah, but I actually want to see it. Like, you know, there's parts in Friday Thirteenth where they'll open a closet, and the body will be like str- strung up, looking down at them. <laughs> And, like, I want to see him, like, grabbing some rope and tying it up and hoisting it up and the whole nine yards. Adjusting the head so it's just the right angle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I... I um, It's such a phenomenal idea. I, <laughs> I feel like it happened. it's happened in some movie where you saw something not obviously not that <laughs> intricate and, and, and such a comment on, you know, the fact that they have these perfectly orchestrated um, views of a dead body, but I feel like I mean, some. I hope somebody in the the in the comments of this discussion can you know bring something to light about that because you know I've seen tons of movies and I feel like if if somebody's like oh that's in that movie I'll be I, you know I'd smack my forehead and go okay that's what it was because it's just such a I remember you telling me that Miguel and then I watched Friday the Thirteenth again. And you're right. It's like the last five minutes is this perfectly orchestrated. Every door she goes to is something yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, it's like a fun house. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I and think it, we can all agree that we love this movie. I think, I think that's what we've concluded from this uh, half hour of talking is that yes. we are fans. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty Behind good. The mask. Yeah, I, right. I would I would definitely say I don't know if it's the best horror movie of the decade, but it is certainly in like the top three. Uh, yeah, and of course we should mention that they've been trying to fundraise to get the sequel made for a long time. And I should talk make to, a sequel to this oh, movie. They, they want yes, they very much want to. Wow, that's amazing. Um, actually, I with the talk, full cast and everybody, I should oh, talk to Jonathan because Jonathan's friends with the writer and director. Wow. So I, he might be able to tell us a little bit more about that. So if I can find out information on the sequel. Well, I can find, I, I'll post the link for it. Uh, I've, I've done some, some uh, you know, some um, Digging. PR for them in the past. So Nice. So. Um, uh, let's do plugs. Uh, Scott, do you got anything you need to plug? For Horror Club? Or just in general. A podcast uh, you might do, a band that you're in, whatever. Oh yeah, I mean I have a band. Okay, we're, we're a metal band, and uh, we're we're called Ichabod Crane, which makes ex- makes a lot of sense when you see my handle is. Do you play Ichabod. the guitar in the band, for chance? And the vocalist, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we just finished uh, tracking a cover EP, and um, we so it's uh, very non-metal covers. We're do, we we do a cover of Blondie, Call Me, and um, things like that. We were actually I was really close to talking the guys into. Um, doing a cover of uh it's only from movies and tv shows that's it's it's it, that's the whole point of it and uh and i really wanted to get the guys to do a cover of party time by 45 grave from yeah. um, from return, uh, return of the living dead which we'll be talking about next week <laughs> that's right uh, it's going to be another great conversation because i can't wait to talk about the 
the blurred out zombie boobs. Yeah. <laughs> you told me that too. And yeah, like when yeah. we were talking in, in private messages, you're like, I'm really excited to talk about this when we start discussing the movie. <laughs> it's just, it's so perverse because it's like you can see people's, you know, heads being chewed open, but you can't see CG or you can't see like a, a puppet's areola. Yeah, areola. I mean, and it, it raises it, the question that, like, is someone who's watching Return of the Living Dead really going to jerk off to a dead corpse's tits when you had perfectly good ones twenty minutes earlier? <laughs> we're not just perfectly good ones. We're talking about we're talking about trash's boobs. I mean, which is another thing we said was who hasn't jerked off to to, to uh, <laughs> Linnea Quigley? What's her name? Yeah, we, we, we all had. Yeah. Everybody yeah. has. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's that's my plug. Is my band Ichabod Crane? I I didn't even any I, uh, way to I find. I wish I had something horror related because that would have been less of a segue. It's well, you know, bad. Ichabod Crane is horror related. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, face, a lot of, just Facebook it. Um, yeah, Ichabod uh, Facebook dot com forward slash Ichabod Crane Metal. All right, Miguel, what do you got to plug, sir? Uh, as always, I have the Monster Island Resort podcast, which you can find at monsterislandresort.org. The website just. Got, I've just busted my ass for two days completely overhauling the look of the site to make it easier to use. And I have uh, a link at the top for this here Reddit Horror Club podcast. And I appreciate that so much. Uh, in honor of this particular movie, instead of plugging um, Dollar Monday promotions, oops, I accidentally did, uh, <laughs> I wanted to plug a, a group of friends... Uh, yeah, a group of friends of mine are making a movie called Psych. Uh, and they're in, they're about to start production, but it's definitely a movie for fans of Behind the Mask. Um, it's Psych with a 5 instead of an S. Uh, <laughs> and you can check them out at Can the 5 Survive? That's uh, the number 5 for that as well. But mm. the concept is it takes place in 1984. And it's five people whose real-life tragedies have been turned into the five greatest slasher movies of all time. And, wow, they're, awesome. and they're confronting yeah. their fears. And it's like, the one guy was on a hockey team, and the hockey player took some bad LSD, or the goalie took some <laughs> bad LSD and was, like, killing the team. And someone's <laughs> like, oh, my God, we should use the hockey mask for the next Jason movie. So I, their thing is... it. The Five People's Lives inspired uh, Friday the 13th, 3D, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Halloween, and Sleepaway Camp. So the fact that, and they said Sleepaway Camp gets more focused than anything else, which makes me really happy because it's my favorite slasher movie. Yeah, mine as well. Has anybody picked that? No one has picked that yet, but that's going to happen. Anybody that is actually listening to the end of this podcast, pick <laughs> Sleepaway Camp if you haven't picked the movie yet. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. 
At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.